My name is Andy Cahill. I'm a transformational coach, and I help people live life on purpose. This podcast explores the mystery, beauty, and complexity of life through conversations with an incredible array of practitioners, all working at the edge of what's possible for humanity. This is a place for big dreams and fierce hope. Welcome to the Wonder Dawn. The inaugural guest on the Wonder Dome podcast is Todd Marston. Todd is an incredible musician and artist, an International Songwriting Contest Award winner, a graduate of Berklee College of Music. He's a songwriter, a composer, an improviser, playing across a wide range of musical contexts, from jazz to folk to rock to hip-hop. He's also my music teacher, and he wrote the theme song that you just heard. We cover some fantastic territory in this conversation, exploring why art matters, even in these tumultuous times. And at the time of this recording, the coronavirus was just coming into our awareness, so it's sort of lurking in the background of the conversation. But there's a much bigger context that we're playing with. Above and beyond the pandemic, what does it mean to be a fully alive human being and tap into our creative birthright? I'm really excited to bring you into this conversation with Todd. So without further ado, here we go. This whole podcast is really a place where I want to explore what it means to be human, what it means to survive and thrive and live a life of meaning, particularly when it often feels like the world around us is wackadoo. Like there's all sorts of stuff going on. A lot of it can feel really scary. A lot of it can feel really confusing. And I, I genuinely believe that in spite of all that confusion, scariness, and uncertainty, we all carry something inside us that at its best allows us to connect, take care of each other, and to make the world a beautiful, equitable, just, awesome place to live for everyone. And so that's what this is about. And Todd, what I, what I want to hear from you today in that, in that sort of swimming pool is your journey as an artist, as a teacher, as a wellness practitioner, as a thinker and philosopher, like you bring so much to the table on all these channels. And I'm sure we won't get to all of them, but I want to just start to pull on some threads. Does that sound good? Yeah. Yeah, that's great. Nice, man. So one of the questions that we were kind of riffing on before we officially started recording was this question of like, why does art matter, (laughs) right? Which is a sort of perennial question that often gets asked when times are tight or, uh, you know, things seem scary or there's quote unquote other more important things happening in the world. And, you know, I think sometimes people kind of default to the assumption that art is a, is a really nice to have, but ultimately a frivolous thing to have. And, and, and I'm certain of the opposite belief. And I know that you are too. And I just love to hear from you, like, why does art matter to you and your life as an individual? And, and why does maybe art matter to us as a species, as a people in this moment in time? Well, I think, I think it might be useful to back up to the intro when you were talking about, you know, the, the kind of uncertain times to Mm. start. Mm. So I feel like it's probably a useful thing um, to point out that you know, you and I come from uh, privileged upbringings. Oh, yeah. Uh, and 
have never faced poverty before. Mm. And mm. when you look around, uh, you see that there is vast amounts of, of poverty, uh, war, disease, you know, these really crippling things that are going on in the world um, and have been going on for, for some time. I mean, you could say that all of those things at one point or another have been taking place for people through the, the course of humanity. Um, but particularly now, we can see that as far, like basically as long as you and I have been alive, we've been hearing about, uh, you know, the AIDS epidemic yeah. and uh, all of the war going on in the Middle East. And uh, for those people, it is already, a, it is apocalypse. It is the, the end times. Mm. So in addition to that, we also see works of art coming from these places that are profoundly moving. And oftentimes, you know, I'll see, I'll see a video online of, of a drummer in, uh, in an African country that like, you know, this, this young boy has made a drum set out of pots and pans and rusty cans and is just killing it. You know, it's, it's some of the most kind of soul filling music regardless of whether I knew where that sound was coming from, just the art itself is, is soul filling. And I think that that's translated because that, that is serving that particular artist and their community. Mm. And there's a lot, I think there's a lot going on. Um, and within, within the process of making art. And I think this is also one of the, th one of the things that we're, we grapple with, as creatives and um, people who are trying to make time to do more artistic work, um, I think there's a lot of rap, a lot of ego wrapped up in it. So you could say, well, you know, that kid is is being filmed to make a viral viral moment, and make some money, and hell yeah, he is. <laughs> like that's that's great. I, I think creative work is is a great way to create uh, energy, to create income, to lift people's spirits. Mm. Um, mm. Yeah, I'm hearing so much in, in what you're saying, but one thing I'm hearing, and tell me if this is right, is, is almost sort of, you're willing to take us all the way to the other end of the spectrum where, where there are parts of the world right now at this very moment where people are suffering in inordinate ways, ways that, that we wouldn't wish upon anyone, maybe not even our worst enemy here in our particular place in the world, which is pretty developed and pretty, pretty outrageously materially abundant and we're, we're really lucky and privileged. So we go to another place where maybe not those material privileges aren't evident and then you add in confl conflict or, or disease or some other variable that's completely outside of an individual's control or just mm -hmm. it's happening to them, it's happening in and around them. And you go there and fucking awesome art's happening. <laughs> like, yeah. like people are making art. 
So what I hear in that is, is actually there's something fundamental about the drive, the impulse to create, to make, to do something that's additive, that's generative, that's enriching and soul-fulfilling, as opposed to doing something that's, that's destructive, greedy. Mm. You know, and it, so it's like if it produces energy and helps that, that kid earn some money and brings joy to him and his family and friends – who more than them deserve it in the midst of whatever complexities that they're, that they're facing. That yeah. was that kind of, does that resonate with what you're talking about? Yeah. And I think if you look at any, any kind of, if you do like an overview, so you could think of um, African-American spirituals and the potency that, you know, is contained within that, that music. Um, if you think about Henrik Goretzky's third symphony that he wrote, you know, for the, survivors of the Holocaust. And, you know, for me, that's one of my all-time favorite pieces of music. It's kind of the deepest, if I need, if I need a good cry, I put that piece on. Mm. And so, and that cover, I mean, that covers such a wide range, like, and I, and that's just in music. So if you look at all of the arts combined and especially comedy, that's the thing that I, that I was thinking about yesterday is like, the great comedians, while, and it's funny too, because there's a paradox there. In one side, you know, we, we talk about, uh, at least in the music world, we talk about the discrepancy between art and entertainment. Hmm. Hmm. And in comedy, it's all about entertainment, right? But the, the baddest comics are the ones that are speaking innovative thoughts they're they're going to shadow places that nobody wants to talk about mm. and they're mining gold out of it and they're helping us process and look forward and so so you know you start talking about all the different types of art and that to me is like the only reason that humans exist <laughs> like because you know about that well like other other life forms, like they are the art, right? They, they are beauty, you know, a butterfly. And I think we carry that within us too, to a certain extent. Um, but we're also these weird hairless, you know, creatures <laughs> that are disconnected and destroying the earth. And, you know, there's like, so, so if I think of like, what is, what really is the, the benefit of having humans around? It's, it's art. And it's wow. the thing that's helping us the most. Wow. Uh, if you take all of it together, I think. Wow. Man, I love that perspective. There's so much in there. For some reason, I'm, f I'm finding myself kind of the devil's advocate me in me is coming up just to kind of maybe pressure test this a little bit. <laughs> I hear that and I'm moved by it. And then there's a part of me that says... You know, art, art isn't going to put food on my table. Art isn't going to solve my financial woes. Art isn't going to do anything about, I don't know, whatever it is that, that is material in nature that I'm really wrestling with or that I'm upset about or that I'm feeling. Like there's, a lot, there's lots of ways in which we could argue that art is inadequate 
And I wonder like if, if someone who is, who is maybe more passionate about that, I'm not being a very good devil's advocate because I totally agree with you in actuality, but like if someone was really sitting across from you, who's just like, I think, I think I just don't get it. I don't get it. Mm-hmm. How do you like, wh- what's in there for them or how much you connect to them? What's, what's a bridge that you build to, to there? Where would you start? Well, for me, I would start with creativity itself because creativity is a thing that will give you all of the, all of, all of what you need, right? Had to get creative to build systems for, you know, irrigation, um, you know, all of the, all of the major advance advancements in society come with a degree of creativity. Mm -hmm. And I think that Mm -hmm. that creativity is fueled by the arts undoubtedly and i'm sure any anyone so you know you hear people who might not be into music right they're not into music that's just like one art form and usually those people are moved by music they just don't realize it there's because music is so pervasive in in the world yeah yeah there's a whole separate conversation we could have about certain kinds of music and the way music can can alter you know, your neurochemistry or alter your biology, put you in different moods, different states. Like there's sort of some objective realities around the way sound and vibration impact us. And then there are some cultural realities around, you know, someone from a certain part of the world is so they're just swimming in, in waters that have certain kinds of music that it's like, it's just there for them. It's not even really, a, it's like just part of their life. It's not like they go somewhere to listen to it or something. It's just, yeah, this is our music. Right. Or if you're into film, you're into music. Yeah, there you go. Nice. Theater and dance and, you know, it it doesn't matter if it's accompanied or not. There's there's rhythm. There's the elements of music. Right. Right. Yeah. I mean, filmmakers, it's a great example. They know. Watch a movie you love without music and see what the experience is like. It's it's really remarkable. What a great composition a great film score can do to make or break a oh, film yeah. right yeah okay got it so there's sort of there's sort of like ways in which someone might even someone who thinks they don't like art is probably consuming it and engaging with it in such a way that they're not even realizing how, what an impact that it has on their lives but you're also to you're also taking us back a, a step like you're even to a more primal step before any art got made probably there was still creativity happening. There were still human beings creating solutions to problems, which maybe sometimes created new problems that they needed, needed to make new solutions for. But it's like, is that what you mean by creativity as sort of a fundamental piece of... Yeah. Of, yeah. Well, this, this actually uh, might be a good, good time to talk about the, that discovery that I had while writing about this. So just thinking about all of the different ways that art is useful or, you know, necessary for life. And as I started to list them, I realized that they line up with the chakra system Mm. 100%. So, um, you know, for for the the uninitiated who, or perhaps the skeptical, can you talk a little bit about, about the chakra system and just like in in as much of a nutshell as, as you can, that's a whole nother rabbit hole we could go down, but you're seeing some kind of alignment between art and the chakras. Yeah. So if you think of uh, the body as a conduit for energy, 
you could look at the different energy centers that are within the body, the places where, you know, there's a lot of intersecting meridians and, um, uh, you know, arteries and uh, important, you know, the important parts of the body kind of line up in yeah. these areas. And yeah. they have and for someone who even wants like more tangible language, like the nerve centers, uh, yes. the respiratory centers, the the you know where the heart is, where the gut is, you know, like where your reproductive organs are. These are places where there's a lot, literally, neurochemical and neuroelectrical energy. So, like even for the scientifically minded, there's there's these sort of centers in our body that have more energy because they're doing more for the whole system. Is that, would you say that's a fair way to reframe, reframe it? Yeah, that's great. Okay. Yeah, and you could, you know, uh, Chantal Phillips, my, my Reiki teacher, um, talks about, you know, the way that you have these, like, uh, what do you call it? Like folk, kind of the folk concepts around, uh, so, so love being, you know, heart-centered, like in your heart. You know, the heart is just an organ, um, but there's, I don't think that it's a, it's a, um, I don't think that it's a, uh, a mistake that we're saying, you know, I love you like from here, as yeah. opposed to like, I love you. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Right. Like, yeah, yeah. <laughs> you point at the head and you got like, like, you know, the, the glare, I love you. Yeah. It's not an intellectual thing, right? There's a feeling yeah. that often is actually felt if you're paying attention to like around your heart. Right. Yeah. There so are the, yeah. some, some scientists who say that we don't have one brain, that, that we have two or maybe even three brains because we have our head brain, which is the most neurologically dense part of our nervous system, but also around our belly and our heart. Those are two other, like there's a lot of nerve clusters there. So even if brain is not, is a misleading word, it's clear that the body is processing and feeling and acting on all of that information that our nervous system processes at those places in a way that's unique to the whole system. So. Yeah. It's an endless, it's an endless study in rabbit hole. Yeah. I just said we weren't going to go down the rabbit hole and then proceeded to take us in, <laughs> take us on a deep dive. So, so you're noticing though, that, that if we go back out to the chakras, the seven chakras is just a framework for understanding the system of the body, a very kind yep. of like simple seven point framework. You're noticing some alignment between that and and what art does for us. Say more about that. Yeah, if we distill it down to the simple themes that are associated with each chakra, so starting with the root chakra could be like basic survival and trust. Uh, second chakra, the the gut, right? Creativity. Mm. Got a gut feeling about this. Mm -hmm. uh, instinct. Solar, instinct. Uh, solar plexus is a uh, you know power and a sense of purpose. Mm. Um, you know that experience knocked the wind out of me. Right, really made right. me kind of have to to take a step back and look at my what what am I doing here? Yeah, or take a deep breath before mm -hmm. you move. Like get tune in before you dive in. Yep, down to the yeah. bottom of the lungs. Yeah. Uh, yeah, love in the heart. Right, we covered that uh, expression communication with the throat chakra uh, foresight in the third eye and then you know enlightenment or 
that tingly sensation that you get when you listen to an amazing piece of music, um, that kind of ecstatic orgasmic feeling of, uh, perfection, you know, like what I get when I listen to a love Supreme or Keith Jarrett's Vienna concert or Goretzky's third symphony or very unexpected play. That's when it's the best when you get those unexpected moments with these new pieces of art that you didn't realize were going to affect you in that way. And you're like, Oh, I just got that tingly feeling, you know? (laughs) Yeah. And it's not an intellectual, there's, it's not an analytical, like, Oh, you don't need to know how it works or why it works for it to work. If you're experiential tuning in. Yeah. It's very experiential. So as I'm going through that list, you could, you could imagine, right. Each one of those things being each one of those chakras being affected by the arts like it's not just an intellectual thing you know it but it but there is innovation and forethought that can be created you know like oftentimes i think of of artists themselves as being kind of innovative or but what about you know uh i think of my my high school art teacher who explained, and I don't know if this story is true or not, but she, she explained uh, how they, how they learned about, or how they, they learned how NASA learned how to create a, an airlock. Hmm. That was one of the last things that they couldn't figure out how to do. If they're going to go out into space, how are they going to create this airlock system? And they were working on it and working on it and working on it. And finally, the, one of them took a, a vacation or a day off or something and took a horseback ride or in a carriage or something. And they were just kind of zoning out. And then they realized that they were staring at this horse's butt as it pooped. And <laughs> he had an epiphany or she had an epiphany. And the way that the rectum opened for the poop to come out was... <laughs> what they needed to replicate for the airlock system. Thank right? you, horses. But... <laughs> oh, my God. That's awesome. Just side note, folks. Todd is definitely someone who's, who's going to take you to talk about, talk about poop. We just did it. We just went there. Yeah. Love it. But you know what? That, whether or not that story is true, may, maybe it's apocryphal. It, that totally is consonant with, with the studies of, of creativity more generally. Um, you know, there's a whole, uh, I think hopefully I'll say his name right, Mihai Csikszentmihalyi, who's most famous for his research and work around flow, peak performance, flow states, mm-hmm. uh, also wrote a book about creativity. And, and this is one of the essential sort of five-stage process. And I can't remember all the, the names of the five stages, but one of them is basically this kind of it's this very dynamic of like intense focus on a problem, focus, 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 until you just can't make any more headway. And then this relaxed openness. And so it's sort of this like focus, open, focus, open. And in those open moments when you're out for a walk or taking a shower or watching a horse poop, like, you know, uh, you get, you get like something clicks. Some, some part of your non-rational system of awareness makes a connection that the kind of conscious intellectual part of you is just not capable of doing on its own. Yeah. Yeah. And that's, that's functioning when any of us practice anything, especially when, when we're passionate about it, we really want to get to that next step. Mm. I Mm. guess my, my point with that was just to say that, you know, 
this this idea of like forethought and in, innovation and stuff. That, to me, that's a really interesting one to get into. Um, right. So, and this and that would be equivalent with a third eye chakra. Is that right? In my understanding. Right. Right. So there's there's a certain natural quality of of both problem solving and also kind of open open eyed open input dot connecting where it's sort of like you, we can be really focused and clever and smart and we can figure out how things fit together and then when we can't figure out how they fit together we can kind of sit back and let let our our mind heart whatever you call it keep working on its own the subconscious the unconscious yeah. it's like boom insight yeah we might art, get a art is just like a constant way of feeding that part of ourselves because we're always working on some new creative problem big time Actually, Melody recently, my girlfriend, um, I was telling Sorry, her ladies, I want, Todd's, Todd's taken, so. <laughs> well, so, so um, she came home from a night out and wanted to talk, and I, I had been watching The Irishman. And, oh, gosh, I haven't seen it yet. I heard it's pretty epic, though. Well, it's like three and a half hours long, so it's a time commitment, but uh, I was really into it, and I, I told her, like, sorry, I don't really want to talk. I want to go back to watching this film. <laughs> <laughs> and and she said, "Oh, I get it. Like you want to kind of go back to dreamland." And to her, like you know, dreams are very important. Sleep is very important. And I'd never thought of watching films as a form of dreaming. Wow. So so this is maybe the, that's the missing link for kind of connecting art to the third eye because you know visions and dreaming are one of the deepest sources of creativity. Yeah, and that's where a ton of art comes from. It's where a ton of innovation comes from. Um, and yeah, if you're going into someone else's vision, literally, like they're making a vision-centered piece of work for you to kind of dive in, it is like you were entering into a dream. Yeah, yeah. Oh, that's cool. And and you are also just side note lucky that you have a, a partner who values. Uh, art and dreamland because they, there could have been any number of other alternative responses to you being like, oh, yeah. sorry, babe, <laughs> I'm watching, I'm watching a CGI, uh, a, you know, aged Robert De Niro right now. I can't, I can't talk to you about your day. <laughs> well, the missing part of the story, I didn't actually end up going to watch the rest of the Irishman. I'll just say that. <laughs> okay. okay. Well, I watched it the next day. Okay, good, good. So you did end up talking to her. Yes. <laughs> right on. Cool, man. All right. I love that. So there's this sort of, maybe let's talk, we can't probably don't have time to talk about all seven, but one of the, one of the natural innate needs slash desires that you would argue art fills in our life is this capacity for innovation, for creation, for insight that is represented by a third eye chakra. Yep. What about like, um, what about like, like the solar plexus, what you said that was purpose, or maybe like the root chakra, you said that was trust. Like what about one of these more foundational, less less obviously connected to creativity parts of us is fed yep. by, by art and why is that important? And the, especially right now when like, it feels like we need a lot of work to do as a species to learn how to trust each other again and to learn how to figure out what our collective purpose is, right? Like feels like there's a lot there. Yeah. Um, I did find that the root chakra was the, the more challenging one to get to. Um, but then upon remembering, so I was thinking, you know, I had this thought in the back of my head, like, I know that there's something super obvious here, 
you know, trust. How does art help to kind of build trust? Mm. Um, and I think the simplest thing that I can think of is a mother singing to her mm. baby child. Mm. So, you know, oh, a lot of um, your basic ability to trust comes from your upbringing and your, you know, how, what was your relationship with your parents and, you know, all of that. And I think that that is a huge part of it. Like some of the most beautiful memories are the sharing of art between a parent and their child, you know, and you think about being sung to sleep or I remember my mom would read me, uh, this star Wars picture book when I was, you know, too, too young to read. And that was the beginning of my sense of adventure. Right. Like, but then also, uh, this feeling of like complete wellness and, you know, you've got this association of, uh, exploring these creative realms while being completely taken care of. And, you know, so that would be an example, uh, at least for me, but, um, but I do think that music for me, that's the one I'd say the, the big one. When I feel um, something that's coming up for me that I want to throw out to you, because I know you've, you've played in a lot of, you've played with and with many different musicians and yeah. you've played in many different genres of music. And you've also, played music that sits at the intersection of genres. But one thing that's coming up for me that I'm, that I'm noticing at least with music, and I bet there's probably an, an, an analogous version in other art disciplines, but music is one of those places where, where it feels like the boundaries between cultures, specifically in musicians from one culture and musicians from another culture are often the most porous. Like there's just sort of like, they see each other and they see the kindred spirit yeah. and they listen for what's different and they're open to the surprise. Oh, and then they like can take it on and play with it in their context and vice versa. And so this like, even if they don't speak the same language, this dialogue just opens up instantly. Yes. That, build, that breeds trust. Oh man. That's the biggest one right there for sure. Which also, I, I feel like that comes back to the simplicity uh, and the connectedness of all of these forms like i like to think of music as harmony melody and rhythm right and those things are in all music in some form and so mm -hmm. we can agree on that common language mm -hmm. and we're made up of all of those parts too so um, it makes me wonder thing. it makes me wonder what non-musicians or non-artists like what's the lesson we could extract from that to apply to more general cross-cultural, cross-group, cross-tribal communications that word tribals come a lot up a lot these days. How, you know, like what would a non-musician do with that insight? I wonder. Do you have any thoughts about that? Well, as as humans, we're all experiencing life. So whether we're making art consciously or not we're part of the big art form, you know, which is life itself. Oh. oh, and maybe even cultures are like, are sort of 
like at the level of culture, there, there's sort of a, a meta work of art that's happening there that we're all like contributing to, to American culture, but <laughs> for better and for worse, you know, there's, there's tension as, as cultures meet. Is that, is that, is that part of what you're kind of getting at? Like there's the art, there's the art of living, but then is there, are there kind of these meta levels of art happening at like cultural or national levels or global levels, do you think? Yeah, yeah, for sure. I don't, um, I think I was going a little bit more like put, putting myself in the shoes of somebody out in rural, wherever, you know, yeah, that's okay. not, not surrounded by an artistic um, scene, maybe, um, or maybe they are, right? Like, there's also that possibility, too. There's some awesome stuff coming out of, you know, it, could, it doesn't have to come from the cities. Yes. Yeah. Um, yeah. Hell yeah. But the, but maybe that person who is brought up in, you know, a, maybe a less culturally kind of aware space um, doesn't have a lot of art in their lives. You know, maybe just them being open to experiencing something new or maybe experiencing something new and then realizing that it's, it's good. Tastes good. That food from that other culture tastes good or that, you know, that groove that they hear in, in, a in another culture's music somehow, I, I don't know, you know, for, for them when that's going to happen, but that, but that. Food's a, food's a really good one, actually. That right? one. Yeah. Yeah. Like if we can, uh, that's a place where it's like the form again, right? Every culture has, you know what you said music has melody rhythm harmony i'm not i'm not a chef right but my wife and i have been working from this book by samin nasrat which is salt fat acid heat right so she was like she saw it she's like oh every culture is working with these qualities to produce great food yeah and so it's like oh if i can go to italy or to iran or to Japan or or to South Africa, wherever it is, even in the differences, wow, this is really different. I would, oh, wow, that kind of seafood, I would never eat that. That part of the animal, I would never eat that. There's the possibility of realizing that that the form is still the same. It's like, oh, there's, they're working with the same fundamental ingredients. And so that, like, if we could just find a way to open people to that possibility and help them see that they don't lose anything. They don't have to lose anything that's beautiful about mm. their, like a musician who knows you can speak to this, a musician who can play beautifully. And let's say, you know, like, um, like a Balkan folk music context who then goes and learns like a Celtic folk music context doesn't become a worse Balkan music <laughs> player, right? Like they, they actually become better. better. Yeah. Yeah, and and to a listener who's who understands the Balkan form really well, they might be like, "Wow, that's different. That's interesting." But they, if they don't know Celtic music, they're not going to be like, "Oh, he's playing a Celtic thing there. That should be Balkan." They're just gonna be like, "Wow, that's that's awesome. They right. sound amazing." Right. Okay, that's cool, man. I like that. That feels like a powerful dot to connect. There's this. There's this sort of. There are these forms that culture works with. And, and culture shows up in art, and food, it probably shows up in politics, it probably shows up like in every arena of our life. 
and we get pretty obsessed. We have a, a one of our strengths slash weaknesses is we're really good on the details, but we're not so good as a species on noticing the kind of underlying patterns, trends, forms that seem to actually connect everything. Mm -hmm. What does that bring up for you? Is that resonating with you? Well, the um, so I've been I've been uh, challenged this week with working on an aspect of the, the ego and the inner critic and, you know, trying to, trying to let go of that, that, you know, inner critic voice. Um, and it's been, it's been kind of challenging for me lately. So I, I, you brought up the, the, the idea of politics too. So I, I made a, I, I woke up from a dream about eight weeks ago and I had this idea like, oh, I could write a song for Bernie Sanders because I'm, you know, I'm, I'm, on, I'm on board with Bernie Sanders big time. And I thought that would be the best use of my creative talents. Nice. So by the end of the day, I had kind of the seeds of the song ready to go. And I had an 11 piece band like ready to, to record. And by the end of the week, I had uh, studio time donated to me. Uh, mixing and mastering engineer and it came down a little bit before the recording session when we found a video editor to make the music video so we put it all together with 100% volunteer support and it was the most fun recording session in my life it was just a blast and there was just so much energy and life put into this project and this happened in in no time right like less than two months this is a, a really quick process and now we've got this beautiful track, this kind of funky disco jingle for Bernie Sanders with a, with a music video that was really fun to make. And so uh, I'll make this short, but I release it on Monday. And then I, get, I immediately go to that like post-release depression period. And oh, we should talk about that, but, but keep going. <laughs> So, so I get a call from, from a woman uh, who uh, works for the campaign in, in you know, what, one of the organizations that's, that is uh, part of the campaign. Part of Bernie Sanders' campaign. Yeah, it's not, not the direct campaign, but it's another organization that's in support because there's a lot of them. Like there's, wow. there is so much going on. Okay. Um, and this person, you know, uh, is running around with three kids and, you know, just has a, a massive amount of responsibility and is phone banking like hell and organizing like hell. And I called her uh, earlier to try and get some help with the video and because I needed to get people, you know, submitting little short videos of them holding Bernie signs. Anyway, she finally got back to me after the day the, the video was released. And so I said, yeah, the video is released. Uh, check it out. And she was psyched about it, you know, and the conversation you know, ended up coming to this point where, where she was, she was telling me about the things that are going on in her world of organizing for the, the Sanders campaign. And so she told me about an event. Awesome. And then she started talking about phone banking. And then my inner critic started to speak up and it said, okay, so this is really what you get from the world. You, you put your heart and soul in this, into this piece of music. And then 
they see that you're enthusiastic, very enthusiastic about Bernie Sanders. So you're definitely a candidate for, for getting on board for phone banking. <laughs> and your art doesn't mean crap, Todd. Like, you know, that this it's that, that was the voice of the inner critic. If I'm being really honest, you know? Yeah. Yeah. Thanks for, thanks for bringing that vulnerability. And I know sometimes the inner critic does not represent our best foot, but I think everyone <laughs> listening can, can relate to those little voices that come in and, and turn, interpret a situation in a way that is, does not hold maybe the other person or the, the details or the underlying motives in a open objective light. And so I'm hearing you kind of like notice that you're like, Oh wow, this is, she's basically telling me my art's worthless, but Hey, I might, (laughs) I might make a good phone banking candidate. Yeah. That's the inner critic. Wow. Yeah. The inner critic is a sack of shit because that, (laughs) That is in no way what she what she was saying. She was so psyched, but as another individual, another human being on this other, like she's she is there discussing. You know, this is what I'm bringing to the table. Mm. Every interaction that we have, you know, has the opportunity of of a real exchange of ideas, oh, not man. not just okay. Here's my awesomeness you check this out and share this video and, you know, look at me. Like I made this thing, right? That's bullshit. Yeah. Oh man. So much is coming up for me as you share that story. First of all, I want to say to your inner critic, you're not a sack of shit. Uh, (laughs) You're just trying your best. You're trying your best with what you know to keep Todd safe. And so like, I want to like anyone who's listening, I totally have, I totally appreciate that the output of the inner critic can often feel pretty shitty when you, when you fret black, but like I would, with deep love and respect for you, Todd, to like, don't be an inner critic on your inner critic. Right on, <laughs> right on, man. Um, and then like I, the thing that you, what you just started to tune into at the end really relates. My wife and I have been um, just starting. We're going to go after, right after this podcast, actually, we're going to go on our second of eight dates in this book by, um, I can't remember their first names, but the Gottmans, they are, have been doing marriage and couples counseling for decades, for decades. Uh, And so this is the second dot I'm connecting. And like their basic idea is if you go into a relationship, in this case, like an intimate partner relationship, but to your point, like it could be any relationship and you make it about you, the odds go up significantly that relationship is ultimately going to fail. Because you're essentially doing what, what, what they say is like you're creating a wall around yourself and your partner. And maybe there's a window through which you can communicate to that partner. But what you really want to do is figure out what's the wall you can build around each other. And in that space, you're in something together, right? And so to use that metaphor with this person, it's like the wall that your inner critic was attempting to put between was like, oh, well, I want to talk about my art and she wants to talk about her phone banking and we're not on the same same side. But what your bigger self realized was like, oh, no, this is how each of us are contributing to the even bigger picture. Mm-hmm. That is our belief in a, in a progressive, you know, equitable place where everyone has healthcare and doesn't have to worry about being in poverty, like, like that bigger, whatever that is. Right. Right. So it's like you, you went from having a wall with a window to having, having like a a wall around both of you that you could both live inside. And it's sort of this process of like, how do we expand the space so that we discover that it's not about you 
and this is dude this is awesome i just realized what's the name of what's the name of your bernie sanders song not, not me us yeah, <laughs> yeah it's the campaign slogan not me us yeah. and what's really cool about the gottman's work is they've shown that if you just just it can be as simple as if someone says something to you there's essentially three responses you can ignore which is obviously not a productive response you can repel you can reject and you can say that's stupid look at my cool thing or you can you can receive and the receiving the kind of like acknowledgement is just as simple as like oh yeah that's cool mhm mm. like you literally can just go mhm and and they've watched couples over 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 hundreds of hours of footage and the couples who who lean towards each other last and the couples who don't don't yeah. so in that same way it's like if we keep leaning away from each other cuz we're worried about ourselves it actually produces the very outcome that we, you know, it's like this self-fulfilling prophecy. So I don't know. I'm just, I'm really, that's worth repeating. What, what that, could you repeat that last? Yeah. Yeah. If we, as a, as a, as a species, as neighbors, as um, political allies or political opponents, like all the ways in which we draw lines between ourselves the very act of drawing lines between ourselves is what makes that line come true. We, if we lean away from people, if we, if we seek purely to figure out how we're better than them or what makes our thing cooler than their thing or what makes our position, that act, which is a very human act, will produce the result that it's perfectly designed to produce, which is disconnection. Mm. Mm-hmm. If, on the other hand, we ask the question, and this, and this kind of goes back, I think, to our conversation about music and food. If we ask the question, what's underneath here that connects us despite all of our, all of our varied differences? I'm not, like, you're, like, not going to be a phone banker with, with three kids probably anytime soon. And she's not going to make a music video anytime soon. Mm-hmm. But you both are in your way contributing to something collective that you agree. And then there's no longer a wall between you. Now, now, there's, a, now there's an open door where there's a mm-hmm. connection. Mm-hmm. And so it's like that just we really have more agency and choice around how we are with each other. And if we're not aware of that, if we default to me, 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 <laughs> inner critic, inner critic, we default to that, then the inner critic is right. <laughs> the inner critic actually like becomes, see, I told you, look, that woman's trying to do this thing. And you're like, okay, I'm not going to talk to her. That's what I'm getting from what you said. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. The um, I was thinking of other examples of, uh, you know, I, I I recently put out a a mass email list. You know, I put a put out a mass email, and uh, I had someone get back to me and say, you know, I would like to be unsubscribed from the, the mailing list, but if you if you want to share anything that you think I would be interested in individually, I would love that. Hmm. And I thought that was a really beautiful way of uh, basically stating this person's needs and 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 a request. Hmm. Um, I think oftentimes, I don't know. That just that feels more evolved to me. That feels like a more evolved response of you know, it's not disconnection. Um, and it, I think we all have the right to. Yeah. disconnect where we need to 
Yes, nice. Um, and that's one of the shadow areas that I think is really challenging. It's like, mm. you know, what if, what if you want to have nothing to do with someone? Does that have to be, uh, you know, a truly bad experience or thing? Like, uh, I think it's important that we have that ability to, to be autonomous and just to decide where our boundaries are. Yeah. But then, but then this, this step that this person took was especially compassionate and did what you were talking about, like creating a bigger container of, of context. Oh, I love that. Yeah. Yeah. That's the, you used the word paradox early on in the call and here we arrive at another one. It's that, that, that dynamic interplay that there's this dynamism again too, between no boundary, total connection and individual boundary like where you where you are and where the rest of the world is and there's a dance there's just a and it is a high it does require some evolution on our parts to see it as a dance because if we draw the lines too hard too rigidly we get stuck yeah if we open them completely we let it all in we get lost we get overwhelmed yeah so it's just this dance of like what's my boundary right now and how do i set it in a way that is not making it about me versus the other person, but rather just owning what I need, even as I recognize and honor what the other person needs. Right. Yeah. Oh, that's beautiful. How does that show up in art? Is there, is there a dot there to connect it all? Is, is art, does that art do that for us anyway? Does it help us navigate that paradox? Uh, yes. I think the, the, the first thought that comes to mind though, is, is that idea of openness to new experiences in art. Like, some days I'm not in the mood to go to an art museum. Mm. And then some days that's like the perfect thing, right? So every individual has their own interests. And, and so this comes back to self-reflection, meditation as a way to get clear with ourselves. What would, what would serve us? What do we like? Pay attention to it. Be honest to it, you know, to ourselves. And then also realize that, there's a time and place for everything, you know, that, that kind of, maybe, maybe not everything, but you know, <laughs> the underlying yeah. themes of everything. Yeah. There's a time and place for each of those needs or desires that are maybe represented by the seven chakras. Like yeah. There's, there's sort of yeah. a time and a place when it feels good to, to like really be in purpose and really be energized and activated. And there's another time and place to just stay rooted and be quiet and be in solitude or whatever it is. That right? Yes. Does that resonate? Yes. And it doesn't matter whether you, you know, believe in the chakras or something yeah. stupid yeah. like that. Like, um, those are, they could be complete symbols, containers for you to consider all of the vast, vastness of, of your experience as being a human. Mm. Mm. And I think that's really, that's really significant. Yeah. Well, so you just said they can be symbols Mm-hmm. or containers for you to contemplate the complete vastness of what it means to be human. Is that right? Yeah. Yeah, that feels really important. Like there, we need, I heard recently there's this, this, this piece of data that neuroscientists estimate that we get something like in any given moment, we get something like 11 million bits of sensory information coming mm-hmm. into our body. 
So that's not even like, that's not even like information, like watching the news or, or reading the internet or whatever, reading a book, it's just like sensory information, color, shape, sounds, you know, all of this stuff just flooding into us. And our, our mind, our brain, our conscious awareness, the part of us that we notice only gets six zero, 60 out of 11 million bubbles up to our conscious awareness. Wow. So really, I mean, that if that's true, or at least approximately true, then the vastness you're talking about, we're, we're swimming in it every moment. Yeah. And we need some way to, to consolidate it enough that we can understand it, but not so much that we try and fit it into a single box. And what I appreciate about what you've been sharing today and about what we've been talking about today is, is art is a really powerful way to take chaos and put it into some kind of creative, functional, or inspiring emotional order. And these chakras, the seven chakras, which are like dealing with trust and instinct and purpose and, um, and love and expression and insight, all of that, like those are, those are forms that show up in all people. All of us, all of us thrive on love. All of us thrive when we have a purpose. All of us thrive when we have people we can trust and we feel grounded. All of us feel really good when we can use our minds, our intellect, our creativity to make something or to do something that adds value to the world. And so it's like, doesn't matter where you're born, those the chakras are like the kind of underlying forms that we've been talking about a lot. Yeah, yeah. And it's beautiful. So, yeah. so it's a way to contemplate the vastness of what it means to be human. Thank you for that insight, I love that, man. Yeah, that that to me start that I'm hit with a feeling of um, I don't know, just a, appreciation for life itself. So we don't have to be better than other life forms to realize our true worth. You know, mm -hmm. the reason to exist, our reason to exist. I feel like that's that's maybe the fiercest hope I have for humanity is to uh, to really realize why are we here? Like, what's our what's our reason for existing? Mm. And and you're saying it's we don't have to be better than we don't have to be at at the top of some hierarchy to justify our existence. Is that, is that exactly? Yeah, and you uh, can you can have all the hierarchies you want, and there's plenty of great thinkers like Ken Wilber who who talk about you know, very interesting forms of hierarchy as, as a container for looking at growth and awakening. And, but, um, but then you've also got, you know, really beautiful people like Anna Breitenbach talking about, you know, sentient life has no hierarchy and, and we're, uh, we're just deceiving ourselves for putting ourselves up on this pedestal above all else. And that, that it, I think, maybe she would say that that's the thing that has caused the major imbalance. Hmm. I know that that's a very prominent theme in, in so much, you know, think of C.S. Lewis and the, uh, some of the things that he talks about or um, uh, Daniel Quinn, you know, the uh, Ishmael, right? Mm -hmm. Like mm -hmm. just the decision that I'm better than you and therefore I'm going to prioritize my life over yours, no matter what type of imbalance is created. 
Yeah, and the inverse of that, there's another pathology that produces, which is we tune into when someone or some group or some other is trying to position themselves as better than me or us, and we try and do the same dance, or if we aren't able to, we feel this lack of worth. You know, I, I'll speak for myself. You know, I've, there are times in my life in the past, this is a lot less true now because I've, I've worked on this a lot, but there are times in my life in the past where I see someone else who has more material wealth, success, whatever, and, and that part of me that is, has been inculcated into hierarchy and status is going like, oh, that person's better, more successful, more whatever. You know, so it's like the, I, I let them, I, I make them better than me, even if they're not intentionally doing it to me. Which is which is its own kind of form of self torture, mm-hmm. yeah. Oh man. So if you were to sum that up in a sentence, or or to your fiercest hope for humanity, say it one more time. What is your fiercest hope for humanity it's around the stuff of hierarchy and self worth? And I guess to realize to realize why we're here. To realize why we're here, which doesn't have anything to do with us being at the top of some hierarchy or some right. sort of. Yeah. Wow. And, how, and, and as we come down the, the closing stretch of our conversation, we started with why does art matter? And in the context of that fierce hope, why does, how does art, how might art help us get there? It is, it is the vehicle for experiencing and examining that, that search for truth. Mm that search for meaning Mm. it's our it is life itself in a sense for humans i mean especially given that we've evolved out of so many of our other sensory abilities and um in some ways have lost our connection to nature people you know we say lost you know this person's lost lost their humanity when they've done something evil and like I feel like there's, there's a lot to be mined and examined in, in the way that we live. Mm. And we have massive tools to do it. Mm. That, that feels like a natural dance too, you know, the, going back to the idea of, of hardship being a good source for art. I think that's the case because it has to be. Like Beethoven needed art to process all the awful stuff that happened to him and, you know, not just, not just the awful stuff, but what it means to be alive. So the, you know, that, that sense of purpose and love and intellectual beauty and expression and epiphany and, uh, you know, trust and process. I feel, I feel all that when I'm, when I'm listening to Beethoven's fifth symphony Mm. that was that was a timeless piece of art that was created wow out of necessity wow man thank you that's so beautiful so there's this way in which we as an artist or as a creator or as an appreciator of other people's creations can tune into these deeper fundamental questions about how we're how we're wired and what we're really up to these questions of trust and purpose and insight and and enrichment all of the all of that you're seeing in any piece of beautiful art well 
I wouldn't say that I'm I'm fully seeing it. I mean, ideally, I'm I'm experiencing some aspect of it. Yeah. But yeah. it's it's a practice in itself to to try and be open to be open to the to the other. Yeah. So that is that is the other part of it too, you know. Mm. So whether it's another musician who's creating a unique form of art or whether it's another practitioner of another art form that I might not understand um, or a person that's being creative in their own way, practicing something that I might not have even thought of as an art form, like a, like a, a chef or to go even further out, like uh, Sarah Prescott, the dog trainer. Yeah. yeah. The more the, so we've been, we've been having these meetings every two weeks and talking about creativity and, and actualization. And it's incredible to see all the connections between, between these different forms. And it is completely an art form. It's incredible. Yeah, I might have to get Sarah on this at some point too, but that's a beautiful, I feel like that's a nice, there's a lot more, like there's themes here for me around how we bring in artistry into any form of craft or skill or or passion, right? And so as wide-ranging as cooking to dog training to leadership to engineering, right? Like we could really look at any domain and see that what's the superficial shallow version look like and what does this depth work look like? What does it look like when you tune into all of the different layers, all seven chakras, whatever language you're using? And I'd love to, maybe that's a part two conversation that we could have. Um, that sounds good. I have one more question before we close, but just as a note to listeners, we, we, we touched on a lot of topics here. There was a lot of things that bubbled up that we didn't get to spend a lot of time on. Uh, and so I'll, I'll put together some show notes for y'all to check out stuff like uh, Ken Wilber was mentioned and Anna Breitenbach was mentioned and the Gottmans were mentioned. A lot of different artists were mentioned. So we'll try and Andrew capture. Goretzky. Yeah, Goretzky. We'll try and capture as much of that as we can so you all can can check that stuff out. You have to make sure to send me that link to the video, the drummer that you mentioned at the top of the call. That'd be really cool to have that. Okay. So that folks who want to go deeper down these rabbit holes are empowered to do so. I'll definitely find some good resources on, on the chakras. Um, I guess to close Todd, I want to hear if you could, if money and resources, hmm, well, this is tricky because actually I know that, I know that for many artists, constraints are important. But the question I was going to ask, if money or, no, or, or resources were no, no issue, and you could sort of make any piece of art that you can make that would really represent what we've been talking about today, like if you could just sort of offer something to humanity in the form of, of music or art, you know, do you have any big dreams or big visions that feel like you, know, you, would, go, you would go after if you could? Wow, that's a beautiful question, man. Especially after this conversation, it's a beautiful question. Um, I think of a few a few things. It would be a collaborative. It would be a massive collaborative project. Oh, nice. That's nice. one definite. Um, there's this. There's a film. Another thing to to reference. Uh, this film called Beyond Measure. Do we? Do you know about this? No. The documentary about uh, a handful of schools that basically. Re revolt against standardized testing. Okay. And so the film follows all these different schools and some of them interact and they, they send pe people to each other's schools to like check them out. And, uh, but they all have a different take on it. And this one place in San Diego, I believe it's called high tech high. Oh yeah, dude. 
another person who I'm going to get on this podcast, you know about Jason Magnus, my, one of my yoga teachers, was a teacher at High Tech High. No way. <laughs> yeah, for real. So that's another conversation. Yeah, well, I'll link to him in the show notes too. He's a remarkable dude. Oh man, so something hit me massively in that that documentary. It was one of the final projects. So I think I think they you know they have to ask him, but they don't have grades. They don't have you know grade levels. They don't have maybe even separate classes, but they make these massive projects together. So one of their projects was to build this uh, this sculpture that would encapsulate the rise and fall of civilizations. And it was this massive gear. So that's to, to represent all of human history. And then separate gears that would be individual civilizations. So they'd have one massive gear system that would be dedicated to Rome. Mm. On that gear, they would have a bunch of smaller gears that would have uh, individual aspects like poverty or war or resources, you know, all these things that would be interacting. And so when, you know, when war was increasing, then, you know, poverty would be also increasing. And so these gears were interacting with each other. Wow. And so that they were bringing together engineering, art, history, um, sociology, you know, all these different topics, putting, putting them together in one big project. So, what I would probably do if money was not a thing, I would go and and just figure out a way to be, to go there. Because I can't, that was my first thought when I saw that film. I was like, man, there's no way that I can go and experience that because I'm, you know, I'm an adult now unless I went and taught there. Yeah, yeah. And I don't even know how I would, you know, I, I was hit with that. Well, how would I, how would I teach there? I don't really know. But that kind of collaborative project is yeah, what I'm talking about. Yeah. More of those types of collaborative projects that break past boundaries between art forms Ooh. and express like really challenging ideas like that one, you know. Love it. Hell maybe yeah. Something, something like that. Well, maybe there's something in there, Todd. I, uh, maybe you can't do it at the scale that we're dreaming about right now, or maybe you can, who knows? But but there's something in that collaborative. Even for those of you who are interested, we'll make sure to, to link to your Bernie Sanders video. But that was a highly collaborative endeavor, and and that so that yeah that that collaborative quality you're talking about really speaks to me. We need more of that kind of boundary crossing, eye opening, heart opening projects for people as groups to work on that that help us learn and grow. So beautiful, man. I'm glad we closed with that. So much more we could talk about. Let's let's definitely have a, a part two at some point. And uh, thanks for everyone who's listening. Welcome to the very first episode. Lots more to come. Thank you, man. Yeah, you bet. What a treat. All right, here we go. Signing off. Thanks for tuning in to the Wonder Dome. This podcast was produced by me, Andy Cahill, with support from John Nolan at Middle Mountain Studios. The theme song was written and performed by Todd Marston. You can find the Wonder Dome wherever pods are casted. If you're interested in learning more about my coaching work, or if you'd like to get plugged into exclusive offers and community happenings, sign up for my newsletter in the link below. In the meantime, I'm wishing you a life of purpose, power, and presence. We need you now, more than ever.